This is episode 18 of the Untangled Faith Podcast. In this episode, my husband Nathan and I talk about concerns we had over the years, including the time I was terrified that I had cost Nathan his job by commenting on a blog, the time Dave offered bounties to turn in employees, and what happened the year the Ramsey organization lost the Best Place to Work contest. Previously on Untangled Faith. So he bought into the mission. He was all about the mission. Providing hope for people? Sign us up. We want to provide hope for people. And then she said, it's not as good here as everybody says it is. Oh, no. We just left everything. I cannot entertain that. I dismissed it. This is Amy Fritz, and you're listening to Untangled Faith, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all the things that are not good and true, this is the place for you. Hey, babe, what you got there? This is a check from Carvana. I just sold my car to them. I went online and Carvana gave me an offer right away. Then they just picked up the car and gave me this. Well, it's a big check. Well, obviously you could put this towards your next car, or we could finally get that jacuzzi, or I could start taking tuba lessons, or I could quit my job and write my memoir. Or I can put it towards my next car with Carvana. Sorry, your check, not mine. Sell your car to Carvana. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get a real offer in seconds. If you're just joining us, the previous episode, episode 17, sets the stage for this one. Today, you'll hear parts of a conversation I had with religion journalist Bob Smetana, as well as conversations I recorded with my husband, Nathan, for this podcast. This is part two of our Ramsey story. The early years of Nathan's employment, 2012 and 2013, were our mostly blissful honeymoon period. Nathan was thriving professionally. He was finally doing the work he had wanted to do since he was a child. Writing code all day was a dream come true. And I was no longer living in a tiny rural dying town with very few friends and winter that lasted forever. That first conversation with the Ramsey spouse, who said that not everything was as great as they made it out to be, was carefully boxed away. It wasn't long before I started to notice differences between the way employees accepted the Ramsey culture. I mentioned this in my conversation with religion journalist, Bob Smetana. I realized after a couple of years of being there, there was a difference in accepting the Lampo culture between people that married into somebody that was already working there. People that did that were more likely to be like, this is crazy. I was remembering this when I was going over my note. They would have more questions, be more vocal about things they disagreed with. I think you were seeing it more through the through Lampo ladies yeah. than I would necessarily have seen it. I saw that in being the admin of that Facebook group. But if anybody was going to be <laughs> more vocal about why do we do things this way? Why can't we have a credit card? Why can't we just go get a 30-year mortgage? It would be somebody who married somebody who was already working here when they got married. I came to believe that they weren't going to stay. They weren't going to stick around. And I don't know if it was borne out every single time, but it certainly seemed to be a thing. I assume they wouldn't have done a spousal interview. I don't know that there was any way to necessarily say, hey, someone else is marrying you. We should interview this new person. (laughs) 
It's interesting because if it's so important to the company that when they hire somebody, they also do that spousal interview, people could get around that if they were single and they were hired and then got married later. (laughs) They would have no way of knowing if they were marrying a crazy person. Yeah, I'm planning on marrying a crazy person. So I'm going to get the job now. I'm sorry. I have to wait until I get this job. Then I can marry you because you're crazy. In other words, had boundaries. Oh, yes. That definition of crazy. I see. Our idyllic honeymoon period ended in the fall of 2013. The first time that I felt like super scared was when this thing blew up in the media. And it was when they shared this blog post, things, stuff rich people do. And it was this list of things that rich people did. They read this many books. They don't go to, they go to the gym. And I am a psychology major and I'd taken social science research methods. Yeah. And I read that and I was like, that's correlation. I, and I don't see a causation. And Sean Groves had shared it on his blog. And he just wasn't really comfortable with the way it was framed. And I agreed with Sean. So I left a comment that just said, and I think it's still there, even though I tried to delete it later because I was so afraid. Just something about it not really showing a causation because it was such a big deal with about it. there was so much chatter that Dave addressed it in a meeting. But when Nathan reported back to me, I was so terrified that I had done something wrong that would have cost him his job. So I was so sick to my stomach. I called Nathan and I told him I was going to come and meet him for lunch. He had to talk me off the ledge. I was that yeah. afraid. And that's not normal. I asked Nathan what he remembered about this time. This was after, because I remember Sean had come and spoken once. And I remember saying, okay, Sean's never going to get invited back after this thing. Yeah, but I was so scared. I wasn't all that concerned about it. Seeing some things that have happened recently about spouses saying things that were negative and there being like major fallout. I was reassuring because I really at the time didn't think that anything would come of that. I really had no It's no big deal. And I was sick to my stomach. And what's so interesting is to see now seven years later how this has played out. We have seen several instances in the last several years of employees that have lost their jobs because of things that their spouse has said to people personally that was reported back to the company or something that they posted online that disagreed with Dave or with the company. I see that now. And at the time, I really wasn't concerned. Looking back, a lot of it came from the fact that I was on this team that had really good leadership really felt very healthy. And so I think I was more secure than possibly others in the company were. You weren't listening to the show ever, really, right? Almost never. For the most part, though, I just cannot listen to live talk radio because it makes me too nervous that someone might say something embarrassing. Were you embarrassed for the host or for their guests? Both that the guests might call in and say something stupid or the host might say something okay. unfortunate. And, and especially since my livelihood was dependent on this whole thing, just being nervous that someone might say something that would be really bad. How about, did you follow his social media at all? Not really, no. Because you don't really do social media. I don't do social media, no. There was a certain amount of like crankiness too that just rubbed me the wrong way. As Nathan was looking over his notes from team meetings, he found his notes from the day Dave addressed this. Dave told the team that something the content team had put out had caught the attention of hipster nut jobs and that Dave had been called a prosperity preacher who hated the poor. He went on to say that there was an opinion piece related to this in Christianity Today and that the Ramsey organization would no longer be giving any ad revenue 
to Christianity today. And at some point in the meeting, Dave must have said this because Nathan had written this quote in his notes. You're a smart car. I'm in a snowplow. Want to play chicken? In the spring of 2014, an article was posted in the Daily Beast entitled Spies, Cash, and Fear Inside Christian Money Guru Dave Ramsey's Social Media Witch Hunt. The article reported that Dave had gained access to the Facebook group Former Lampo Folks. It went on to say, According to three current employees, Ramsey chose a handful of the Facebook group's members, former employees, and plastered their pictures, their family members' pictures, and screenshots of their private conversation on a large screen for all of his 400-plus employees to see. And I read it, and I, I felt horrible because it was all true. I mean, you couldn't say that it hadn't happened. Yeah. Nathan sat in there and heard them offer thousands of dollars to turn in somebody. Here's a quick overview of the situation. There is a group on Facebook of former Lampo folks. And in that group, some of the members were talking about their concerns about how they had been treated or about policies at the organization. At some point, Dave had gained access to these conversations. In response to that, some people set up parody Twitter accounts that poked fun at Dave and the company. Apparently, Dave was so upset by this, he offered bounties to people who would divulge the identity of these anonymous accounts. And it was also reported that Dave had said he had contacted the local police and the FBI. So I remember there being a an invitation to, if you knew who these people were, or if you could figure it out, so it was a challenge that like, if you could figure out who these people were, that there was a reward or a bounty basically being placed out to try to track down these people. And I remember being really uncomfortable with that because I had concerns even from before coming in about what, whether it is healthy for people to not be able to express their voice their concerns about their organization with each other. Because that was something that always made me a little bit anxious. The idea that gossip was so strictly defined that you couldn't really talk to coworkers about your concerns. You could only talk to leadership. That really concerned me. This idea that not only could you not voice your concerns to others, but if you were engaging in possibly talking to people on the outside who were involved with this like whole Twitter thing, that they would really try to come after you and have these bounties. So I actually did take that one to my leader and my leader's leader and just saying that this really is not, this does not feel right. Yeah. And I can't remember how much it was, but just any amount of money at all for trying to track down and turn in people who are saying negative things just really rubbed me the wrong way. That did not feel healthy to me. I did raise that with my leader. And then we talked to his leader they heard me out that I was concerned. I do remember feeling a little bit better for having at least been able to talk to someone about it, but it still happened. And so that was the beginning of, huh, for us. And when the end finally did come, tracing it back to, okay, really, where did this start? I think that whole Twittergate thing was a beginning of starting to feel itchy about certain things. 2013 and 2014 were dotted with occasional splashes of news about the Lampo Group. About seven months before the Daily Beast article came out, Nathan messaged me to say that John Acuff had suddenly resigned. This was a huge deal. I remember going to the Ramsey website where John's stuff would normally be, and it said something like, John is no longer with us. This takes us by surprise as much as you. Somebody that listened to the episode from last week, they said, you mentioned being a fan of John Acuff. And they said, did it concern you at all? Or were there any red flags when Acuff resigned. And I'm curious of your thoughts on that. 
I told her I had assumed at the time that John just wanted to do his own thing. And so I just assumed he couldn't do his own thing and be there. And it wasn't really until later when I started to fully understand that Dave still owned johnacuff.com. He owned a domain with someone else's name that no longer even worked for him. It just seemed like that's not cool. And he's been gone how long now? And if you type in johnacuff.com, it redirects to a Ramsey site. What was your impression at the time? It wasn't portrayed as a friendly and amicable departure. What are your thoughts today? My my impression today is that he probably was trying to actually get a fair deal and could have been that he was just trying to not be so tied to the organization that if he ever did leave that that he was going to basically lose everything like he ended up. Yeah. It feels like he ended up having to do I didn't listen to Dave very often, but during those days, every once in a while, he'd say something stupid on Twitter. During those early days, he engaged with people and he was obnoxious and arrogant and he could not deal with anybody questioning anything, even in good faith. I remember thinking, I just wish Dave would settle down a little and I wish you wouldn't be on Twitter. And I didn't think through what that really meant because what it really meant was I don't want people to see Dave's character. I don't want them to see it. I want him to hide it. Nathan and I had several conversations about the rigidity of the baby steps and the Ramsey narrative about money. I really wished and I lamented the fact that there was this lack of nuance. That was definitely part of the the conversations we were having as you were reading about these things. And that was part of that whole learning process for me to understand that it isn't just willpower. It isn't just working really hard to try to get out of this. We're having a number of those conversations. They didn't feel like deal breakers to us at the time. We, we were very comfortable talking about questions that we had. You and I talk about everything talked about work. Oh, we go on great walks, which would be fantastic podcasts, especially since there's just that heightened chance of death. from being <laughs> Or like- walking and podcasting. Yeah, we would always talk whether it was something you're excited about or something you're disappointed in or something you felt uncomfortable with. We would talk about those things. We wouldn't talk about them with other people. What's crazy, it was still certainly in the back of my mind. Should I be, should I even be saying this to you? But that was really very early on an exception that I decided that I had to make. I have to have someone to talk to. And Amy is the person that I can talk to about all these things. And so, yeah, so as time went by and I was processing different things, like I was always processing it with you and we were talking through, I just don't feel good about this particular way that we're tackling this thing or this particular decision. It wasn't that like you were unhappy with your job, even though there were things here and there, you felt really good about your job for the majority of the time that you were oh, there yeah, yeah, until the yeah. end. It was really maybe the last couple of years. I think we talked about how that sort of seemed to correspond with the building of the new buildings that they were moving to. There'd certainly been a lot of growth, but I think there was also some initiatives that were going on to try to, in preparation for that move and the costs that were going to be involved in being able to move to a new building and furnish it and all of that. So there was certainly stuff going on to try to raise money for that. And anytime it would feel like 
it was about money or about profits, I would start to feel a bit itchy. And that's probably because for me, I really did want it to be missional and wanted it to be mm-hmm. about the mission. And yeah. so when it would feel like it was becoming about the money, I would start to feel like something was a little bit off. When does the business side win out over the faith side? When does the faith side win out over the business side? It was tricky. I started worrying that this whole plan was a way to get people to, you know, buy more and more things. Yeah. And, I mean, and, and there's nothing wrong with having a for-profit business. There's nothing wrong with people wanting people to buy your product. But when yeah. you mix faith, <laughs> Christianity, and business, it can sometimes feel icky. I don't know how to do that well. If we say, if you help enough people, you don't have to worry about the money. And we have that written on the wall. And that was actually printed on the wall right by my office. So I'd walk by that and I'd see that as time went by during that push to get into the new building. It just doesn't feel like that's 100% true. That if you help enough people, you don't have to worry about the money. And it felt like we were worrying about the money. Or maybe not worrying, just thinking about the money more than it felt like we should. We've had this conversation since you resigned. The thing that would make you more comfortable for you would be just be a for-profit organization that teaches people how to handle finances and ditch the faith component. Would you feel more comfortable with it then? Yeah. I think where it felt odd to me was trying to mix those two things very closely and say, we are a for-profit company that gives hope and does so by bringing people into churches. And and our secret mission in doing that is to bring people to Jesus, but at the same time, be thinking so much about profit. It just felt like some of that wasn't true and was just being said as a way to make sure that people were on mission and were yeah. moving the company forward. The mission is good and, and the things that people are doing are good and people are being helped, but it feels like all of that could be true without saying that this is for Jesus. And or that this, it was, is, this is God's way with money where, I don't know, <laughs> is this the one way that God would say to use money? My impression was in watching how they operated, it seemed like they would lean on that faith side sometimes when it served them, and then on the business side at other times when it served them. Mm-hmm. That felt awkward and messy to me. I think the biggest thing for me is that if you are standing in front of the world and saying, we are representing Jesus and we're representing God in how we run our business and we are yeah. running this business God's way and we're, we're teaching people God's way to handle money, then you are standing out there as a representative of Jesus and saying, hey, look at us. This is what Jesus is like. And at the same time, if the company isn't acting in a way that is 100% honest or 100% filled with integrity, and that was where we started to find some things that were really concerning. Okay, it feels like there's some things here that the company knows about and they're just choosing to be okay with. Now for a quick break. Not long ago, I made a decision that changed my life and my relationships. I started going to counseling, and I'm so glad I did. If you've been considering getting started with counseling, Faithful Counseling makes it so easy to get started. I know you don't like talking on the phone, so it's good news that you can start the process without even picking up the phone to talk to someone. The Untangled Faith Podcast is brought to you by my listeners who support me on Patreon. It is also brought to you by Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is a Christian counseling service with more than 3,000 licensed therapists across all 50 states with access by video or phone sessions or chat or text. There are therapists with expertise in trauma, depression, family conflicts, and more. 
You can ask for a new counselor at any time and financial aid is available for those who qualify. Untangled Faith podcast listeners get 10% off their first month from our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Go to faithfulcounseling.com untangled. Fill out a questionnaire and you'll be matched with a counselor. That's faithfulcounseling.com untangled. Now back to the show. And then there was that time I got in trouble for defending the company on Twitter. One time they released a new product. They released their budgeting software, every dollar. And I was on Twitter and I saw somebody was saying that it was ripping off YNAB, um, their budgeting software. And I defended Ramsey. Do you remember that you got called because I engaged with somebody and defended the company? I vaguely remember being told to talk to you. That really rattled me. The fact that they were watching me, the fact that they knew that this person that responded to a naysayer was actually a team member spouse. That's creepy. Yeah. I really did not like having to tell you that. And it wasn't because I didn't want to have to tell you that. It's that I really didn't like being told to tell you that. I felt terrible. On the one hand, I felt like I was in trouble. And the other part of me felt like this is so wrong. It was about every dollar. Every dollar had just launched. And someone had posted on Twitter saying that it was ripping off YNAB. And I responded and just said, YNAB doesn't own math. A budget software is basically math. That's all I said. That's highly ironic given that we use YNAB now. I tried to like every dollar. Uh, The the secret YNAB underground. underground. One of the things that Ramsey Solutions has proudly boasted of throughout the years is that they had been voted the best place to work. It was in their job postings and on social media banners. I asked Nathan about his experience with taking the survey and what happened the year the company did not win. So while you were there, and they started it before you started, so it went back farther, they participated in the Nashville Business Journal Best Place to Work contest. So it would come out by email coming from the Best Places to Work place. So there would be in one of the Monday meetings, just a heads up saying, hey, this thing's coming. Remember, we need to have as many people as possible. And so the first couple of years, I would just get it and I would fill it in and I'd submit it and I'd be done. And in there, there would be a question saying, were you coerced or were you instructed to fill this in positively or something like that? And I'd be able to say no. As the years went by, I realized that the first message that came out would be very much, hey, this thing's coming, go ahead and fill it in. And then there would be a series of other messages as the next week and the week after as people, there were still stragglers who hadn't filled it in because they could still, they could see how many responses there were. I think the messaging would get more and more. Remember, we need everyone to fill this in and jokingly, jokingly, not jokingly, remember to, this is the best place to work. You need to fill it in. Let everyone know that this is the best place to work. There was a year though, where I remember someone getting up in front and saying afterward that there were some negative things that had been put in there and that this was not the place for you to be voicing those sort of concerns that you needed to take those to your leader directly. And you shouldn't be putting those things in the survey. And if you couldn't say that this is the best place to work, then why are you still here? You shouldn't be working at a place that you don't think is the best place to work. You should go find some place where you can be happy. And we don't want you to be here if you can't be happy, which felt very heavy handed. Like So <laughs> as the years went by, I would fill mine in the day I got it so that I could honestly say I had not been coerced. Or, I don't know if coerced is the word, but yeah, pressured. pressured to do it. And then did you mention the year they did not win? One of the meetings Nathan had notes about was this meeting where Dave addressed the team after they lost this contest. 
In Nathan's notes, he indicated that the team was told how disappointed Dave was and that three people had written negative comments on their surveys. They also said they had figured out who those three people were and that two of them had already resigned and that they had fired the third one. It really bothered them that it was an anonymous survey. I think that was the same thing that led to them announcing that like, there was not going to be any more anonymous surveys at the company. It'd Even be a like coward. a best place to work survey? This was more the internal surveys. Like they're okay. going to send out an internal survey that they wouldn't, that there wasn't going to be any more anonymous surveys because if brave enough to attach your name to something that you were just a coward. There's so um, many mixed messages because they would say, we're the best place to work. And if you don't think we are, you shouldn't be here. But then to also <laughs> say, you better not be anonymous and you better come to us with your concerns. How can you come to them with your concerns and still believe they're the best place to work? Yeah. And yeah, there's a disconnect there. It's it's like crazy making. And it's the same thing with that message of if your heart is left, your butt needs to leave too. And it's fine, Dave, or whoever will say, it, we're not mad. Why would you yeah. want to work at a place you don't believe in? Just come and tell, we'll help you leave and he gets up in a meeting and talks about people who left as being disloyal and like rats leaving a ship with no sign of water. It's hard to find employers, employees, friends, family. They got your six. These days, people are guilty as soon as social media says they're guilty. That's everybody's first reaction. Even though there's no signs of anything, the rats leave the ship because the alarm went off and there's no water. It's ship's not sinking. Those conflicting messages are what is happening and is so abusive. It so messes with your brain. And it certainly would be in the back of my head if I had a concern about some decision that had been made and I would take it to my leader. I had confidence that with my leader that, that he wouldn't take this the wrong way. If I had a different leader, if he had left and I had someone else, I'm not sure that I would have had that same confidence to be able to go to someone and say, I'm not sure that I'm okay with this. Yeah. But please don't think that my heart's left the building. Like, like, and that would almost be like the next words that would have to come out of your mouth. I'm not saying that I don't want to be here. Yeah. I'm just not sure that I'm okay with it. And then there was the legendary annual Christmas party. Maybe you've heard of it. Let's talk about that. Remember our first party? It was so cool. It was, in, it was in Franklin. It was like one of the hotels yeah. in Franklin. And it was like the last year that we'd fit there. Yeah. It was so fun, but I remember being very excited. And they had these fun videos and it was like a movie theme that year, I think. And they did parodies of a lot of different movies. Like The Hangover, was that one? Avengers, Avengers for sure. Hunger Games. They ended with the Avengers one and they had all the board members like as different superheroes. And they finished with Dave walking out on stage as Nick Fury. And he had the eye patch on and he had a big long leather duster jacket and everybody went crazy. And the first couple of years, we had so much fun. By the end, I wasn't loving it as much. Mm -hmm. What were your thoughts? So I remember that first year being super nervous as they got to the end, because I'd heard that there was like this extravagant gift that had been given the previous years. And I just had no idea what to expect. And I think that first year they're giving away like Apple devices. And so like I got a laptop. Like it was the coolest thing. I felt grateful and excited about it. But the, the, the one year that I really felt really great about the party was a year that they gave some extra gifts to people 
in different life stages that needed it. One, like I gave a used van to somebody that needed it. They helped pay for some medical bills for somebody that had a medically needy premature baby. They helped with some adoption expenses. They sent somebody to Disney World. And that was fun. Generosity is something that very much resonated with me. If we could have had more like that, I would have loved that. When we started, there was no alcohol at the party. Yeah. So there was a crack that was made during the that first year that one of the one of the jokes in the Avengers video involved someone breaking one of those like fake beer bottles or something. And someone had asked where the whether we could get access to the videos and someone said, Oh no, we can't share that because people might get the wrong idea. Yeah, they didn't um, want to offend their conservative Baptist yeah. customer base. They started figuring out that sometimes people would do things afterwards. They would go to some sort of after party. And so they started to host their own after party and they would bring in this DJ and it was really this nightclub type feel with like alcohol everywhere super loud music. That changed. It was just like this atmosphere of the last Christmas party we went to was held at the Wild Horse Saloon. But in order for all of Ramsey Solutions team members and their guests to come, they had to take out most of the chairs. So there was no place to sit. And as soon as we walked in, I remember this vividly. As soon as we walked in that night, somebody was stumbling down the stairs drunk from the minute we walked in. But every Christmas party, David would get up on the stage and he would say, who does this? And everyone would reply, we do. And there did come a point where I was like, I feel like there is quite a lot of arrogance here. It made me uncomfortable. What are your thoughts on the whole thing? I think we eventually got to a point where it's like, who does this? The whole party with alcohol, like I think a lot of places actually do that. I think <laughs> yeah. there was- Everyone, everyone does this. I explained to Bob some of the reservations I had during those last several Christmas parties that we attended while still at Ramsey. There did seem a point to me where I started to feel like, is this really for us? Dave would stand up every year on the stage after maybe after some big hype video of all the highlights of the year, the bass is booming. It's like a movie trailer. And then Dave gets up there like a celebrity and says, who does this? And the arrogance of it could not pretend it away. I started to wonder if those buildings were like the Tower of Babel and if fire was going to rain from heaven at some point. It just seemed like so arrogant. Look what we've done. Part of this episode that was a late addition to this conversation was this one that Nathan and I had regarding the weekly reports that the employees submitted. This gives a really great glimpse into some of the tension Nathan was feeling and why that wouldn't have necessarily been reflected on his weekly reports. Let's talk about the weekly reports a little bit. So they have been a thing since long before I started there. They would way back when funnel all the way up to Dave. Even when I started there, the idea was that they were still funneling up to Dave. But there were so many people by then, like 300 and some people when I started that I imagine they're probably being summarized or just skimmed or something. They definitely went to your leaders. You'd have to submit them by a certain time to make sure that they would get packed up into an email. And if you missed that, you'd have to directly mail it because the process would happen at a certain time on Friday. And if you missed it, you would get an email from your leader saying, hey, you missed your weekly report. 
and you'd have to send it in. It was a big deal. The most important thing is that it has to have a high and it has to have a low. And so I'm looking back and I'm surprised at the level of personal stuff that I'd put into my weekly reports. I think it's partly because I probably felt more comfortable finding sort of a soft negative in my personal life rather than like saying that I'd messed up at work. I'm not sure that I necessarily... In retrospect, I'm comfortable with having shared this with my leader's leader and my leader's leader and my leader's leader because this stuff would aggregate and then go up and this stuff would be stored permanently. I think the one-on-ones that I had with my leader, those would get personal because he just genuinely did care about me. He's a great guy, great leader. Those conversations are really good. There's a difference between that and putting relatively personal things in something that's going all the way up through multiple levels of leadership. Did you ever feel encouraged to share things that you didn't want to share either in your weekly report or in one-on-one meetings? I don't think so. My discomfort with my level of candor is probably just more looking back and saying, maybe I shouldn't have said that. It's really more from me looking back at it and knowing what I know now about the company and realizing that there were people possibly in that leadership chain that I don't trust as much as I trust my direct leader. So now looking back, if I had known that then, would I have said this? And I'm not sure. I don't feel like I was ever encouraged to say stuff that I wasn't comfortable with saying. I do remember the opposite being true, though. Towards the end there, I remember a couple times being told to be careful not to put anything in there that was too negative that would catch your direct leader off guard or even your leader's leader off guard. That if you're going to put something in there negative, you need to have voiced it directly with them first so that when someone up the leadership chain sees it and comes to them, they would at least know something about it. There was conversations saying, hey, please don't put anything too negative in this without letting us know first so that we can at least have a response. You had to have a positive, you had to have a negative, but your negative really couldn't be too negative. It didn't feel to me like it could be a real concern about, you know, if I had a concern about the way that something was going on, even going as far back as the Twittergate stuff. I went back and looked at what I'd written there, and it was still very much a uh, happy face description of that. I know that I had conversations with my leader and my leader's leader, and it was mentioned in there. There was a thing saying, hey, thank you for talking to me about this. And I was feeling much better about this after having talked to my leader. Yeah. So it left an impression probably that you were good with it all. Yeah. And I think that's partly because it felt like I could address those things with my leader, but it would be too much to put this in this and have a C-suite person read this and and have that affect their opinion of me. You couldn't voice something that you were concerned about, you know, company direction in there because it would go too far up and might reflect poorly on your personal brand. There was this statement, you didn't feel comfortable taking something to your leader that you could take it to another leader, but that felt problematic to me going around your leader to some other leader to that could potentially be a problem. Yeah. If somebody were to go look through your many, many weeks of weekly reports, do you think they would have an accurate picture of how you felt about everything at the time that you wrote those things? Almost certainly no, because the things that would have concerned me most, I wouldn't have felt comfortable putting into my weekly report. Do you have concerns now that you think that sort of thing could be weaponized against people that have left and have some frustrations that they've expressed after leaving. It very much could be a case where like, why didn't you say anything in your weekly reports then if you had these concerns? And, or it looks like you were very happy and you never said anything bad here. The only bad things you said seemed like not really bad. And that would certainly be the case if you were to look back at mine. A lot of my negatives were those funny interview things where 
you know, my negative is that I work too hard or I'm just too attentive where it's actually a positive. Uh, I feel like there was a certain amount of that if I were to go back and look at my weekly reports where some of the low points, really not that low and were always followed with a, but I learned this or, but it's going to be better next week or, and so it was always a positive spin. It would be impossible to remember and recount every detail of the last 10 years. I've done my best to share some of the red flags we experienced while Nathan was employed at Ramsey. I have talked about betrayal blindness before, but let me say once again how powerful it is. When it's going to cost you a lot to see something, there are times our subconscious works against us. That was certainly our experience. We experienced a lot of things that as we look back, it's hard to miss the red flags, but in the middle of it, we were too invested to see. Thanks for listening to the Untangled Faith Podcast. This podcast is supported by listeners like you. You can support this work by joining our membership community on Patreon. There, you can find bonus interviews, transcripts, access to live streams, and replays of our most recent live stream. And you can check this out by going to untangledfaithpodcast.com and clicking on Members. This week, I'm joined by a former Ramsey employee and his wife, and we're talking about that Daily Beast article. That will be available on the Patreon page. As always, you can find all of the show notes at untangledfaithpodcast.com, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram as Untangled Faith, and I'm on Twitter as Faith Untangled. On the next episode of Untangled Faith. As we got closer and closer to 2019, I started to look at it and say, I don't think that I am any different in terms of what I see as being our mission and and being on board with the mission. But I don't necessarily think that I agree with the way the company is pursuing it. And now you've wandered off, so you can't hear me when I say this. Uh, Liberty gibbet, kumquat, asparagus.